6 to 16. So if you want to have uh, a finger in uh, your Bible in both of those sections, so we'll read Nehemiah uh, chapter 8 first, and then we will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard On the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shammah, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, And drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because, because they had understood 
the words that were declared to them. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So far, the reading of God's holy word, we give thanks for it. You may be seated. And as we turn to think of these portions of God's word, let us pray for the Lord's help. Almighty God, we come once again to the wonderful things which you have told us in your revealed word. We are thankful that... In a world full of messages and words, you have given us the message. You, O God, have spoken to address your people, and you have preserved what we need in the Scripture. We thank you that you meet us. You meet us in your word. It is a means of grace And we delight that you have promised to use these things that we might encounter you, experience your presence, know your love and grace, and be equipped for whatever you may call us to do. Father God, overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. Bless the reading and the preaching of your word that it might bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more and to serve you better. We ask all of this in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. So if you will, imagine that you have the opportunity to go to the fanciest restaurant in the country. You know that you're going to be in for a refined and delicious feast, right? You're looking forward to getting that cuisine in your mouth 
that you might be that you might taste it and be nourished by it. Now, upon arrival, right, as you are seated, contrary to all you, you dreamed, your food sits in front of you, and you are forced to look at it without eating it. Right? People passing by say that it tastes amazing. You, are, you told the, the waiter, the maitre d', that you cannot wait to try it. Your waiter spends time explaining the meal's exquisite balance of flavors to you. You've heard its praise You've stated its praise, you've heard it explained, but never actually get to taste it. And such would be Christian worship services if we neglected to read God's word. We talked about how the word is wonderful, sang of its truths, and hear it explained But if we did not read it, we would never have tasted the beautiful meal itself. To fiddle about the outskirts of scripture without ever reading it is like using your fork to scoot around a lobster tail across your plate with never taking a bite. And so we continue reflecting. I'm very passionate about this topic, if you can't tell. We continue reflecting on God's ordinary means of grace. Those features of creaturely life that God uses to apply Christ and his benefits to believers, namely his word, sacraments, and prayer. And so we continue thinking about, as we began last week, the word as a means of grace. Reminding ourselves, Westminster Shorter Catechism 89 says, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching, of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Now, last week we thought about the preached word, and now we turn to think about the word read. And so, our main point is that God's word read is a promise of his presence. God's word read is a promise. Of his presence. And we will think about this in three points public reading, private reading, and promising reading. So, first, let us think together about public reading. For a very short period of time before us, thankfully, uh, I'm technically still in the PCA. So, I'm going to quote Ligon Duncan. Uh, the Chancellor of Reformed Seminary in Jackson, uh, he once said that the reading of the Word of God ought to be an event. I think he's exactly right. If we look at the account uh, from uh, Nehemiah 8 about Ezra reading the book of the law, we find it to be an event where pastor and people are struck by God's power in his Word read. Notice the setting. Have that there with you. Notice the setting itself seems to set the stage as if something special and profound is about to happen. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, and note this, from early morning until midday. In the presence of the, so don't complain about the length of my sermons. 
in the presence of the men and the women and all who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. There is a sense of growing excitement that this is the assembly gathering all who are able at notable time in notable space as if this is an event, because it is. They knew something special was about to occur, but also knew that this something special was the reading of God's word aloud to his people. The people built a raised platform for Ezra, right? placing scripture above all the people. I mean, this suggests, doesn't it, why we have a rationale for uh, a raised pulpit focusing uh, our attention on the elevated word of God, not just preached, but also read. As they assembled, they were attentive to, even looking up to, looking forward to, the book being read. They stood for the reading, thankfully, something we still practice. The people responded with, Amen. Lifting hands as if, no, I'm not saying that you have to do that, but, we're Presbyterians, but, but nonetheless, it is as if they were glad To have the word read to them. And that indeed, however we express it, should be our response. Gladness that the word has been read to us. Even a liturgical response. Amen. Something notable that they do in unison. Now this speaks, I think, deeply to those who believe, like we do, that the scripture is God's inspired word. Christians lament Don't we? The widespread biblical illiteracy. And at the same time, our worship services have become wildly less uh, inclusive of Bible reading. There is far less Bible reading than they used to have. Most services, including reform services, used to include a chapter of the Old Testament, a chapter of the New Testament reading, in addition to the sermon text. Even working through books of the Bible to read them together as a church. I think the connection between the church's decreased Bible reading together and the decline of biblical literacy, I mean, is, is pretty obvious. Actually, I don't, I don't think I have to argue that. The reason, tragically, for less Bible reading is usually pragmatic. People can't pay attention. You can watch 30 to 60 minute TV programs. You can't listen for five minutes to the word of God. People may not want to listen to long readings, but admittedly, often because the word is not read well, which is something we can address. No one, no one should waltz up to, to read the word of God, not having looked at the text and then read it flatly. God's word deserves to be read well. No, I did not pick that section of names to prove that I look ahead. (laughs) Reformed churches, even though, have sometimes bought the pragmatic argument or, or more often find multiple scripture readings for some reason too ritualistic 
As if reading lots of Bible is, isn't deeply Protestant. But we should take careful note that it is an immense privilege to sit under the public reading of God's holy word in the company of his people and hear it in our own language. Countless people around the world do not have access to that experience. And we take it for granted. We should thirst after the reading of God's word. We see that very point, I think, in in verse 6 in Nehemiah. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What had been happening, right? To prompt worship. Ezra was reading God's word aloud. And the people worshipped because of it. Too many people conflate worship with just singing. It's part of it. No denial there. But it's more. It's the whole of our services together. Reading God's word aloud is an act of worship. And responding to God's word read aloud is an act of worship. One where God moves us by the power of his spirit because reading the word is a means of grace. We should never truncate our readings of scripture for time. Too often, this really bothers me, (laughs) too often pastors say they don't have time to read their text or read it in full as if, as if what we have to say, even about God's word, is a more urgent matter than God's word itself. We should always read at least as much Bible as we're about to expound. Ezra's account closes in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly... giving giving us the reason for reading it well, or at least textual evidence. And they gave the sense so that the people understood, note this, they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Here's what's going on. Reading should be clear, and preaching happens to give the sense of the reading so that people understand the reading. That is why God uses especially the preaching of his word as a means of grace. Very much not because it is disconnected from the word, but exactly because it clarifies the reading of the word itself so that we understand it. You might call me grumpy. That's fine. But this is one reason why I just don't like it if I don't get to read my own sermon text. Right? Just, I, mean, I, I don't want to, to spend the week to plan a big outing with my wife, take her to dinner, and then watch some other guy dance with her. And so just like that, I don't want to spend all week courting this text of Scripture to see some other guy dance with my date. The public reading of Scripture is, 
a significant act of God being present with us. And that brings us to our second point. Private reading. Private reading. So the the larger catechism, 156, asks, is the word of God to be read by all? And maybe that strikes you as an unusual question, since evangelical Christians know that we should read our Bibles. Rightly so. But let's see how the catechism parses it out for us. Although all are not permitted to read the word publicly to the congregation, yet all sorts of people are bound to read it apart by themselves and with their families, to which end the Holy Scriptures are to be translated out of the original into the vulgar or ordinary common languages. Now, the reason that not everybody, but only office bearers, are permitted to read the word for public worship is because its reading is a means of grace. And the means of grace are under the distribution of the elders, right? The means of grace are in the hands of the session, who then should be those who distribute the elements of worship. The reading is then a way that God works through features of creaturely life to apply Christ and his benefits to us. And we see that when we turn to 1 Timothy 4. So verse 6 sets the stage for Paul's instruction that will lead up to public reading. If you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So training in the faith is at stake. In verses 7 to 10, Paul describes the the holiness for for which to strive. And among the ways that Timothy and all pastors after him should contribute to the congregation's holiness is in verse 13. Until I come, and this is, this is an astounding statement, I think. Until I come, devote yourself. Not do it sometimes, not if you please. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Scripture's public reading is a means to life. To have the assembly sit under what God announces is a rich blessing. We are to be devoted, wholeheartedly given in earnestness to the public reading of God's word. And so we come now to think about private reading. Personal reading. Right? It's good to read your Bible. And all the emphasis I've put on the public reading is not meant to discourage you from that by any means. I hope you read it often. And I think nonetheless we still have to remember that the Psalms call, uh, when the Psalms call us to meditate on Scripture, it addressed a culture 
who could not own personal copies of God's word, but had to meditate on scripture that had been publicly read in the assembly. We need to read lots of Bible publicly because, well, at the end of the day, it is good to read your Bible, but often the public reading is the primary way that God writes it upon our hearts so that we remember it. And we need to make sure that we understand how, I think this is really key, pastorally, this is really an important issue coming up. We need to understand how personal Bible reading functions as a means of grace. And, and two points stand out to frame this supreme need for clarity. Because first, uh, obviously not here, because I've not been here long enough to have, have that many conversations with all of you about these sorts of things, but I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people who think the substance of the Christian life, for both of these, the the amount applies to both of these, but uh, the substance of the Christian life is the quiet time, namely personal Bible reading. And, And the problem, which is not with personal Bible reading in the slightest, the problem is how that particular understanding, though, then tends to make people feel as though God's approval rests on how often they read their Bible. Their relationship with God in their minds begins to depend not on Christ's imputed righteousness and the subsequent indwelling of the Spirit, but on their ability to make time every day for devotions. On the other hand, there's another need for supreme clarity here, and I I again can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had with people who say something like, and it's very worrying, I read my Bible every morning and there are still instances where I don't receive a blessing during the day. And the assumption, the assumption there is that reading the Bible is like inserting a coin in a vending machine which then is supposed to spit out a blessing later because you did this action. And in both mindsets, I think, misunderstand reading the Bible personally, privately, as a means of grace. Namely, reading the scripture is the blessing. Because that is where God meets you. Right? The, the means of grace apply Christ and his benefits. It is that reading that is the blessing as you commune with God in it by that reading. Reading is not something that God commands so that he will then approve of you, nor is it something that he demands as a prerequisite to give you some other blessing. Rather, our time of reading the Bible is communion with God who approves of us in Jesus, which is the blessing that we need. You will likely be more blessed by meditating on the last public reading that you heard with an appreciation of God's presence than mindless reading in private. And so all of our personal readings need to be driven by mindfulness or 
We can meditate on what we have heard. Mindless reading in private ends up people thinking that it earns God's approval or warrants his later blessing. Scripture's public and private reading, though, is an event where we encounter God, sanctifying and comforting believers. And that brings us to our final point, promising reading. The, the point so far is very simply that God does something to us when we read his word. When we read scripture. Reading scripture is not an end to something else since the reading itself facilitates communion with God. When we finally get to dig into that fancy meal and taste its delicious flavor... Well, we don't act as if that taste is supposed to have some later payoff, do we? What does this get me? Enjoyment of beautiful things is an end in itself. What does it get me to spend time with my kid? That's not the way we think about that. (laughs) So too, with reading God's word, Since reading God's word is to have Christ and his benefits applied to us. When by faith we hear or put eyes on scripture's inspired phrases. Larger Catechism 157 helps us to see what it means to read with faith. How is the word of God to be read? The Holy Scriptures are to be read with an high and reverent esteem of them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very word of God, 1 Thessalonians 2, right? And that he only can enable us to understand them with desire to know, believe, obey the will of God revealed in them, with diligence and attention to the matter and scope of them, with meditation, application, self-denial, and prayer. Now we need to close by accounting for why reading God's word makes God present with us. Uh, speech is always connective. There, there is a reason why we find it odd. At times when someone is talking emphatically, at least, to themselves in public, it seems odd because speaking is supposed to be an intersection between you and others. There is a reason why John's gospel begins by calling God's Son the Word. The Son comes forth from the Father being the exact imprint of his nature, so making God himself will go forth from God himself. In the Godhead, eternally, the Son, as the Father's word, goes forth to the Spirit. Since creation, the other... so So we've just talked about, even in the Godhead, speech, the word is connective. The word goes forth from the Father to the Spirit. 
Since creation, the other to whom God gives himself by his word is us. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, identifies God's speech with his nature, since the Son is the word bearing God's essence. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is again God, the eternal word whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the word, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so God gives himself to us in his word, Jesus Christ. Because we had separated ourselves from God by our sin, Christ the divine word came to bring us back to God. Granting us God's own presence in his person. And reconciling us to God so that we might enjoy his presence by his work. The scripture as the direct message from God then promises his presence to us culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ received by faith that the scripture is God's word then extends Christ's presence into our lives the written word applying the incarnate word and his benefits to us as we read by faith as our eyes and ears both serve to receive the scripture so that we might know God, it increases our faith that receives Christ so that we might know God in his grace. The risen Christ speaks from heaven to you because all of scripture is about Christ for his people. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we live in a time and place where even your people have diminished in their love for your word. Even in the church, we make less time for your word. The self-help, pragmatic TED Talks that fill so many, even evangelical pulpits, have displaced the reading of the Holy Scripture in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ that rises out of every text. And, O Lord, our God, we pray that here and now for us, For us, that you would deepen our love for the Bible. We sang why. Why this is such an essential truth. Because as sinners, we know we are alienated from you. And the only way that we can come back to you is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how are we to plant ourselves in firm conviction and ever-deepening faith of that? Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Cause us to love it. Because in it we find the words of life. 
And we ask all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.